0: is curiosity
1: as to where we are what we the are existence the physical universe is basically playful welcome to the curious humans podcast i'm your host johnny miller hello curious humans in this episode i speak with joe hudson now i know i've probably said this before but i really do think this was one of the most personally impactful conversations that i've recorded Joe Hudson is many things. He is a venture capitalist, a renowned executive coach, but beyond that, he's a rare example of someone who, in my perspective, has accessed some profound truths about the human experience and is putting himself out there into the world to help others to find greater joy and ease in their life. In this conversation, We begin with his perspective on wonder and explore what makes for the capacity to ask transformational questions. He then explores his VIEW framework, which stands for vulnerability, impartiality, empathy and wonder, and how life-changing it can be if we're able to truly inhabit these states. We both then begin to unpack the concept of emotional fluidity, why it's very different from emotional management, and dive into specific examples of unclogging the tube of anger, his process for dissolving shame, in which I become a guinea pig and it gets, it gets really real for a few minutes. Joe also mentions his experiences doing naked breathwork, the, the one-two punch tactic he uses to get out of speeding tickets, Um, why selfishness is a word used to get children to do what their parents want and why you have to allow your heart to break a little to increase your capacity to love. It's a really rich conversation and I was so moved by this that I'm likely going to be signing up for his connection course that Joe facilitated so if you'd like to join me on that or learn more about what it entails I've included a link in the show notes. And finally, if some of the ideas in this episode with Joe resonate, please do share a link with a friend. I don't normally say this, but I I do believe that some of the concepts discussed, particularly around emotional fluidity and Joe's view framework, just deserve to be heard more widely. All right, without further ado, I give this wide ranging, emotionally rich conversation with Joe Hudson welcome joe um thank you so much for being here pleasure yeah how are you feeling in your body in three (laughs) words right now (laughs) uh
2: bubbly joyful and a little constricted around the throat because i just
1: drank tea down the wrong pipe (laughs) (laughs) nice nice um well, I've been—I've honestly been looking forward to this conversation for for a while, and I'm curious to see where we both end up. Um, yeah. But as a as a jumping-off point that might yeah. also be relevant later, um, I'd like to ask: Were you exceptionally curious as a child? And Whoa. if so, could you tell me a story about something that you were curious about?
2: That's so funny! Literally, as I was driving to the office to to do this, as I was driving to the office to, to be on the podcast with you, I was thinking about how, how I had a dip in curiosity somewhere in in life and how after that dip, I've gotten more and more curious. And I was thinking about, Mm. I was thinking about the current experiments that I'm running with myself and, and how it just like, there's no purpose in them so much as to just Mm. like, it's almost just, it's just like, I, I was thinking about how, How similar it is to a kid, me as a kid, like looking at a frog and going, What the heck? But without even really looking for an answer. You know, when you Mm -hmm. and and when I talk about this in the work that I do, I talk about it as wonder, which is like curiosity without looking for an answer. Mm -hmm. There's some awe in it. Mm. And so I think as a kid, I had curiosity, but I had probably more wonder, more awe in the mm-hmm. question than the kind of curiosity that's pointed and looking for an answer. Um, examples of this, I think, endless examples of this. I, the one that comes to mind is, so as a kid, I didn't know either of my grandfathers. They both died when my parents were young. And, but I did get to know a step-grandfather. And I remember when he died And I was just so curious about the death process, like where he was, what the soul Mm. was, Mm. you know, like the, just the whole thing. And I remember contemplating life and death as I was watching the moon, as we were driving, we're like driving away from the funeral or whatever the wake and the moon was there and I was looking at the moon and i was trying to figure out why it didn't move like we could travel 20 miles but the moon didn't move it. and then i was like contemplating both at the same time i have that like distinct memory at about five years old mm. so yeah all the time I, I was in wonder as a kid i don't know any kids that aren't <laughs> i've never met mm. them and and there's this uh, a pretty interesting study and i don't know if you can do the cause and effect of the study but the study is like kids smile most when you go to engage with them, not when you're feeding them. Like they mm. most are engaged when they're learning. And mm. Mm. there's this natural wonder and natural wanting to learn that kids have. And I think if they didn't, <laughs> we couldn't evolve. They couldn't learn to talk or walk or anything. So, mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, And then that wonder yeah. kids can use.
1: I absolutely love that. And <clears throat> the way that I think about it in my life is curiosity is almost the portal into wonder which can then go into rapture and even awe and like and and I think it's ah. almost like greater degrees of attention and presence that kind of pull me into that um into that state but I I really love that
2: huh well, let me contemplate that one for a moment have I heard your curiosity leads to wonder which can lead to rapture and that you said and then awe yeah that would the end presence creates it how do you make how do you make of like the idea of like all getting hit like getting hit across the face with it like there's these moments where you're just like do doo do do and oh
1: i feel like that's you- me ma- that's maybe an accelerated version of the process but i I suppose for me curiosity will sometimes start in the mind and then the more that i become fully engaged and immersed in the subject of my curiosity it's almost like there's there's a kind of merging that occurs and Mm. i forget myself in that moment of or rapture um, which Mm. can i guess happen without curiosity being the impetus but that's often where it can end up and it's yeah so is
2: the presence following and you're in the model is the presence following the awe the rapture or is it creating the awe in the rapture or just
1: correlated? that's a good question it feels like it's allowing creating the conditions for the awe in the rapture to emerge perhaps to be more likely yeah
2: yeah <laughs> i remember i was talking to my daughter when she was like nine years old and uh, and i said did you ever have the experience of having this immensity looking out behind your eyes you know have you ever felt like you know i'm pointing to like pure presence looking out but i and the the you know i was trying to translate that to a nine-year-old like have you ever seen like it's something far greater than you looking out behind your eyes Mm. and she goes oh yeah of course (laughs) and i said oh so what what do you think causes that she's like when the sunlight hits the leaves just right Mm. And, um, on one level, I, you know, it was cute. It was adorable on another level. I think that there's the innocence of that remark is no different than the innocence of uh, like a Buddhist master's teaching, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. we're, we're sticking our fingers in in the sand, thinking that we might have figured out a pattern or something, but it's just as innocent.
1: Mm. Yeah, and in, yeah. In, in in some ways, what you just shared around um, feeling like you're coming back into that curiosity, which you had as a child, I feel like a lot of the work that I'm sure we're going to dig into um, is, is, for me at least, it's almost a process of unlearning and removing the layers which adolescence and early or, or kind of late stage childhood kind of puts upon us. And it's like, it's finding that sense of... Um, innate kind of curiosity and joy and wonder that I think was there all along
2: yeah I've heard it described that way I for me I feel like it there's there's something there's a good way to describe it that way there's also a way to describe it as integration Mm. like the maybe you're unlearning the traumas but there's also an integration of life as trauma as life as pain that Mm -hmm. it's not it's not mm. forgotten about it's not unlearned entirely there's like mm. a mm. there's an integration of it but the experience for me when the experience kind of hit really hard of like the dropping away it definitely feels like a remembering mm. yeah. it definitely feels like a yeah like that's the felt sense of it but there's definitely an integration too because i'm not sucking
1: my thumb and <laughs> unable to speak yeah. <laughs> well, at least not for extended periods of time <laughs> <laughs> how did you know have you been reading my mail what's going on here? <laughs> uh, amazing well okay so um so so another question i love to ask is do you or did you have any favorite books or stories growing up to come to mind and and i like to ask this question because um, i have this theory that sometimes the narrative of these stories is somehow connected to our life's purpose or our, our vocation growing up So, Mm. if any if any stories came to mind uh
2: yeah as a kid i loved shell silverstein i think mostly because it created so much connection reading it with my parents Mm. um uh the the poems particularly i didn't like the giving tree that much um as a teenager uh herman hesse's damien Mm. was a big hit for me when i was like 12 or 13 and then um all of JD Salinger's work was huge for me. Mm-hmm. Um the, the those those were like the big in the very early years. I'm I'm not a huge reader. I love listening, but I don't read so much. Um but yeah, I think in the early years, those were the ones and and and, and oh, I loved like the parables of Jesus. I read the parables of Jesus a lot. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> And then by the time I was like 13, I was I was definitely reading lots of religious texts. I mean, by the time I was 18, I was 17, 18. I was I mean, I was cracking the doubting it like probably at, Yeah, probably lots of that that kind of thing, probably about 17 years old or something.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah. Well wow, would... all of the, all of the stuff that I really dug was wrestling with the,
1: mm. you know, some sort of spiritual thing. Mm. Yeah, got it. And um were there any any kind of or is there a story or an event that stands out as being kind of like a pivotal moment that shapes your perspective on what was to come or maybe planted a seed um perhaps at school or or shortly afterwards is there anything that kind of stands out? You mean like pre 12 years old or pre 18 years old? More kind of like pre like pre like 20 kind of that
2: sort of that sort of age. There was quite a few things in that time period. Um, I didn't have any big, like I was very not in touch with my body by the time I was 10. So I didn't have, if I, even if I had one, I didn't think I would have recognized it, like a big epiphany moment. Um, um, But there was definitely moments of recognition i would say the big moments before that were recognitions that the whole thing was like a, a setup like it was all a game mm-hmm. um that and i think that that came mostly because my role in the family was very much like a rebel mm-hmm. and my job was to speak the truth in the face of of that nobody wanted to hear um so that you know it's, family crucible type stuff if you know what I'm talking about but the Mm -hmm. but so it was it was much and so there was a way in which I got to see like oh the whole thing is a scam and I I don't mean I'm in a bad way I just mean the whole like the system is arbitrary and rigged Mm -hmm. by its arbitrary nature so it's like there's no you know I used to ask the 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 CCD teachers about parables and 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 in the Bible and I would know them better than they did. And, and, you know, and I would ask about the discrepancies in Genesis one and two, like the first two books (laughs) and like the six discrepancies in like, apparently how God created the world. And there, you know, it was just, and so I was like, oh, right. So this is just kind of a, an agreement that people make. It's not, it's not a reality. It's just an agreement.
1: It it sounds like we was
2: pivotal for me.
1: Nice. Yeah. It sounds like we had similar <clears throat> school experiences in, um, yeah, I got into a lot of trouble and got suspended a few times as well. And I heard that you got kicked out of college and I was curious. I got you kicked out of my you, first college and what what you graduated you
2: valedictorian, valedictorian from my second. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah
2: it's, a, it's, it's a good story. It's a long story, but yeah, definitely kicked out of the first
1: valedictorian on the second. <laughs> Just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Um, Okay, well, well, zooming, I guess, zooming forward in, in the timeline slightly, um, I heard that one of your one of your wife's requirements for you both getting married was that you were both to sit on a 10-day meditation retreat together. Um one, I thought of, that, one I thought of the that, many, many requirements. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um yeah, yeah. And, and as as I as I mentioned um before we started recording, my my wife and I decided to actually, I, I don't think I did, but um, we decided to get married on the last day of our first 10 day meditation oh, retreat wow. together um, last oh, December. Wow. And oh, wow. it was also pretty transformative for both of us too. Um, And so awesome. could you speak to what you experienced on that retreat and, and what sounds yeah. like a kind of inner adventure that really ensued in the wake of that?
2: Yeah. Um, I definitely came in was like, I'm going to kick this thing's ass. Like I had never meditated before. I, I like somebody was like, somebody was like, Hey, there's this thing that's 10 days on the tree. I'm like 10 days of silence. That sounds fucking like something to do. Like kind of that, like a 20 year old testosterone response, like a marathon that you're signing up for. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, that's a, that's an experience. That's an adventure. I, love, I was an experienced junkie. Let's do it. I didn't think of anything about meditation and Kind of, I I, honestly, I think that I I wish I would have done the ten days of science without meditation. Potentially, like I think that might have been even more informative for me, uh, especially some of the things that happened in that retreat. But so it was vipassana (coughs) retreat, which is basically just moving your awareness around your body, focusing, learning to focus your awareness. This this particular form of Theravada Buddhism was moving your focus around your body and before, and before that learning to focus your attention on particular parts of your body. And, and on the first day that we, three days of just focusing on your nose. And then as we moved the attention around, I had the experience of just like absolute disintegration into the universe. It lasted about eight seconds and it made me a total junkie. (laughs) (laughs) Total junkie. Like, I want that and I want it back now. What do I have to do? Which of course like makes it impossible to, right, right. to have <clears throat> recreate. Not that you can have it anyway, but um it just makes it it makes it very far away. Even if you get it, you can't recognize it because you're looking for it. And um and so that's one of the things that happened on that retreat. So that's what kind of started the journey. More as an inward approach instead of an intellectual reading of books and understanding approach. It's like, Mm -hmm. and then the second thing that happened in that retreat was there's what was clear. I remember going and asking the two teachers a question, and basically, I stopped moving my attention around my body. And what was happening was my attention was moving itself around the body, and I was following it. And I told that to the teacher and the male teacher said, don't like go back, do, do the teaching. Mm. And I was like, and the, and I looked at the wife and the wife looked at him like, what the fuck are you doing? Like she did, she obviously disagreed, but Mm. she didn't say anything. Mm. And, um, and it was just, and so I went back and in retrospect, if I was giving, if I was in that position of that time, i would have definitely given the advice of you know be the follower
1: yeah yeah
2: yeah <laughs> so that was another thing where you know there was something in that for me about learning that it took me a while to learn it but that's the beginning of a learning process that i had to be the person who was the arbiter of truth for me that i had to do the experiment i had to experience mm-hmm. it mm-hmm i had to agree or not agree that it w- it was never going to come from somebody telling me something or listening to a podcast you know mm. it was going to it was going to come mm. from me doing a series of experiments
1: mm. that's a powerful <laughs> lesson to learn early yeah. on <laughs> yeah yeah mm. very fortunate yeah but mm. it,
2: and but it also was 8 years of hell of me chasing the heroin high you know of this like oneness <laughs> thing it was like i got to find it i got to find it. <laughs> which was just so you know apparently necessary you know I, I, I don't If i don't think i'd change it
1: <laughs> but yeah yeah
2: um but it it definitely was you know it was torture and completely
1: unnecessary Uh-huh. what what brought you the closest do you think in that kind of chasing after the high stopping chasing <laughs> realizing, <laughs> that, realizing that it didn't work um
2: you know I, the, the the fortunate bit of it the fortunate bit of chasing the high is that i collected a tremendous amount of tools mm-hmm. and i learned a lot of different perspectives and i was kind of in the first generation to be able to do that you mm-hmm. know there was maybe the 60s the people in the 60s and 70s could do it, but it wasn't easily accessible mm-hmm. and i was able to like go from Buddhist, Hindus, Zoroastrian, Christian, uh, you know, Gestalt, you know, uh Carl Rogers. Uh, you know, I could just go to every single modality, and there was a lot of them that had been created at that time. They weren't being created like they were in the 60s. I could mm go to people who had created stuff in the 60s and 70s and see how the the results were and pick the parts of that reiki and breath work and so i got to got got to really experience a whole bunch of different things which gave me a a perspective which was really useful of not thinking that there's a single way or a single truth you You know know and well there may be a single truth but it's (laughs) it's definitely it's definitely not something that can be described um but there's there's no single way, and as a matter of fact, I think the combination of the different ways of seeing through the self are far more powerful than any of the singular ways in which people uh-huh. do it,
1: yeah, yeah, it kind of um <laughs> it's how I feel living in body sometimes it's almost like a personal development what Disneyland that you just get to like bounce between these different like yeah. healing modalities and kind of cherry picking the things that resonate and yeah it's it's fun yeah. um I, I I just had a had a well um one of my previous podcast guests, this guy Corey Allen, um, mm. he <laughs> he also experienced a, a deep state of samadhi whilst at a uh, urinal, <laughs> which is something that I, I had happened to you, and he he called it the eternal lightness of peeing. so i i feel like a key takeaway from this is just that men's urinals are the unlikely portal for accessing the the stream of spiritual awakening (laughs) you know a huge amount of of awakening
2: stories across traditions have uh bathroom stories it's not it's not uncommon it's ridiculous but it's not uncommon and i and i do think there might be something about the feeling that of relief of, of like letting go, like, ah, like, yeah. That oh. triggers something when yeah. you're, you, wow. you know, yeah. For me, it was during a like five day meditation retreat. My, mm. When I was peeing there, was, there I had a moment.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And and then, yeah. The other thing that I wanted to bring in here was um, another one of my previous guests was a, a wilderness guide called Bill Pluckin. And ah. he talked about these moments of like seeing through to the truth of reality as being ah. a like a precursor to in in his perspective, the deeper journey of the descent to soul or soul initiation. And mm. I'm curious how you think ah. about what seem seem like two parallel but related tracks of human development. And one feels yeah. like it's almost like maybe pulling up into kind of remembering who we are, and the yeah. other um, is almost like a pulling down into our humanity into our soul and like the unique contribution that we can make and so i'm really interested in in your perspective on this and and do you feel like it's necessary to go to go some way down the like the upwards meditation path and like build equanimity before then engaging into the path of of our wounding and our trauma and and how do you think about the relationship between these two like vectors of development Mm.
2: Yeah. So many ways to describe that's a, that is a very intricate question that I've, I've considered a lot. If, if I, if we're speaking about the same thing, which I'm going to assume that we are. So, um, so I think first of all, there's, there's a, a pretty good model that talks about like kind of the head, the head path and the heart path and the gut or body path. Some Mm -hmm. people have distinctions between those. And so I think the question of, is it important to get to some level of equanimity equanimity before you get into like exploring maybe the emotional journey or the journey of purpose Mm -hmm. or of relation or connection with other people? Um, I think it it seems to be the way that people go that are very head driven. It seems Mm -hmm. to be really necessary path meaning most probably most of the people listening to this podcast would be in that group because they're trying to figure it out by listening to this podcast mm-hmm. so there's yeah. yep um so it seems yeah. like that's that seems to and it was definitely my path in in that and really important but i did i kind of did them simultaneously as well like i was learning my equanimity at the same time as i was sorting through my trauma mm-hmm. which would be kind of one way that i would describe kind of the soul journey uh, the the connection the human connection journey um, so I think that's but I don't think it's I've also seen people work it the exact opposite way I've seen people work it where they do a tremendous there's like there's a way of relieving like in the Quaker tradition as an example there's a way of seeing through self through community mm. and I think that that's an incredibly powerful tool that's very mm. unused. Wow. they pointed to, say, like in a Buddhist tradition, like so the famous text in Buddhist was um, you know, do you think sangha community of practice is half the spiritual path? And Buddha's like, no, it's all the whole spiritual mm-hmm. path. It's mm-hmm. a very clear, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of psychology that points to this as well, that like a community of practice mm-hmm. is something that helps people develop. Um, mm-hmm. and it, very powerfully, but it's not first and foremost in a, Mm -hmm. in a Buddhist context, where in a Quaker context, it is very first and foremost. It's very much how they do things. And there is a way that you can see through self when you, when you get to experience something like, oh, you've experienced this with your wife, I'm sure where I'm holding anxiety about money, let's say, and my wife is not, she's like, no, we got it. It's all good. As soon as I drop that anxiety around money, she picks it up and she's like, wait, hold on a second. Mm -hmm. Like, wait, Mm -hmm. no, we do have to be careful. Like when you start seeing that these things that you think are deeply personal thoughts are like trans, like like some of the group will hold them if you drop them. Mm -hmm. It's like a really interesting way to see through the idea of self. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's one of many, I would say there's kind of major categories of it. And And so it really just depends on where you're joining. I don't think one has to be first. Do I think that having a level of equanimity or seeing life in a non-personal way is super effective and helpful in learning to emotional fluidity? which I would say is kind of the heart path is emotional fluidity. It's not emotional management, which Mm -hmm. can very much happen in the equanimity stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Super useful. Mm -hmm. If you can get past the idea that you're allowed to have emotions, because some people, they get to a level of equanimity that they just they've managed their emotions out of existence. So they just don't allow themselves to feel them anymore, Totally, which is painful and
1: uh, and a a crazy level of hell that feels like heaven. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I love that reflection on, on the Quaker tradition. And I hadn't considered that. And what, what comes to mind almost from more more of like the neuroscience perspective is that our our ventral vagus nerve is kind of it needs to be online for us to feel that sense of safety. And and the, the ventral um nerve is so associated with social interactions and feeling safe in social context. So I, I wonder if if having that sense of like really tight community almost provides the level of safety that's required in order to then go into some of the deeper pieces which wouldn't otherwise be available or if someone tried to, i would say go, go into if not themselves.
2: required definitely expeditious and, yeah. and useful yeah. and we absolutely like when we do our work um we are working on the head part we're working on the head the heart part we're working on the gut part and we're mm-hmm. creating a container of love and safety for people to to be able to do that work and Mm. and without the love and safety there's so much stuff that psychology will tell you is is like oh don't do that but the reason they say that is because it's happening in a one-on-one session instead of Mm. where Mm. something group somebody feels very held in love Mm. there's a lot of ways that you can go into a trauma if you're very held in love that you can't do if you're if you're not
1: yeah hundred percent and that's um i I, part of my work is as a as a breathwork facilitator, yeah. and um, I think creating a truly safe container and safe space is almost like eighty percent of the work in in some ways. Yeah, holding that yeah. container is huge. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, okay. So so coming back to your your story, um, in one of your conversations with our mutual friend Tiago. Mm -hmm. um you mentioned that you spent a bunch of years sitting in a room (laughs) looking at a a tree uh, reading about non-dualism and kind of inquiring into the the nature of your resistance um yes I'd love to hear more and I I think listeners would too could could you speak to what shifted and and what was behind the desire to then go back into the corporate world when I think a lot of people are probably like sprinting in the opposite direction (laughs)
2: Sprinting, you mean towards
1: success, towards, to, no, from like the corporate world into kind of wanting to just like disconnect and like live in a monastery uh, or um, th- there's more, I guess. Yeah, I like think both, interact. both roles are really important.
2: Um, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard it described as, you know, there's the, once you get the sense of relief of self, then you need to like put the old suit back on and go walk around. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something I think, so I think both are important, the, the, the moving away from, and the moving into, um, but w- what happened for me, let's see, uh, I worried about money and I read, uh, at the beginning, I read non-dual teachers, like they had an answer. <laughs> and I tried to, I remember trying to mimic their experience. Okay. If I just go to the bathroom in the right way. <laughs> uh, um, I remember really liking the tree over time uh, because I just I was I I I was seeing that tree all the time, Um, and and I was without knowing it I was learning about my relationship with the voice in my head without with like what what was the struggle but mostly what was happening was about ten times a day naturally not because of discipline I was asking the question what am I it came that question came and there was just no way for me to get rid of the question and so and i didn't understand that every time i asked the question the answer was there (laughs) Mm -hmm. i i I thought that there was Mm. that the answer was going to look like a normal answer so i couldn't see the answer that was there Mm. and Mm. and then one day i could and the question died faded away Mm. um and I, for some people, when that happens, and I think it depends on like how much trauma work they've done and how miserable they were, like how much depression, this shot out of depression. I think there's there's some vectors to look at. But for some folks, when that happens, and they kind of find this peaceful place, and they don't leave it, they're like, "Oh, I can be in the oneness. I can be in universe, and and I can." And this is peaceful, and no matter what happens, this is a place that I can exist in. Mm. and it and there's a lot of people seeking that as well. Yep. and there's a difference between peace and joy. And at mm. some point, if you're sitting there in that, you you realize that the you're selling joy for peace. Mm. you're like yes, you're you're you have equanimity, but you don't have joy. You don't have experiences the full experience of a life you know you're Mm -hmm. you're you're cutting off a part of yourself and that's the point where it's like oh wait i'm going to go be active again i'm going to go be engaged Mm. i'm going to and that's hopefully Mm. the point when you start stop managing your emotions and start seeing them as Mm. the brilliant amazing Mm. vibrant
1: life force creators that they are Mm yeah i love that i really love that distinction and, and i think maybe part of the reason for that is is a lot of what in my experience drives people to the spiritual path is a kind of running away from the, the pain that they've been feeling whether they're conscious to it or not um and I, i've been reading Adi, adishanti recently and he talks about how like maybe there's like 0.0 percent of people like when they Kind of have that experience of samadhi they they get to stay there but for almost everyone else they kind of come back down and that then leads them into i, I guess this this work that we're gonna we're gonna dive into um
2: yeah I, i've never heard that quote from Adya. yeah um yeah i would say i would say some people stay there for one day and some people stay there for like 10 years mm-hmm. i've never met anybody who 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 is yeah just who who i've never i haven't met anybody who's like had an extended period where they don't where that place that where the where they have the way i would say it is there they haven't convinced themselves that the evolution is over Mm. that's how i
1: would say it nice nice it's like um ramdas says or I, i think he had advice from one of his one of his friends who was like you've you've enrolled in the school of being a human, like try taking the curriculum because he'd spent so long. <laughs> <laughs> he'd spent so long like try, <laughs> trying to be high and trying to stay in that place. And then he like, he was like, oh, actually my work here is to take the curriculum of being human and go back yeah. to, you know, like care for his dad and, and things like that.
2: Um, um, that. I mean, that's where the joy is. Yeah. It's not the high, but it's absolutely, it's it's like a marriage that way, right? Like you get the, mm-hmm. you get the, First three or four months with the person, and it's like romance and it's like that mm-hmm. high. It's tingly. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you mean? and then you're like, you kind of want it back. You're yeah. like, where did it go? And then you're like, wait, <laughs> there's something far greater. Like we can, there's a depth here that's available. Uh-huh. And then that's like a far greater joy than the romance and the the hot, the hotness mm-hmm. of the beginning.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so it's- Shift it. well actually i think this is a nice segue from kind of asking powerful questions um and i another thing that i i read was that you had a, a mentor who had this amazing capacity for for asking questions and that's something that has really been a like one of the central inquiries of this podcast so uh. what was it that you learned about the art of asking great questions from spending time with him
2: yeah, uh, it was just not just him. There's many. And he was the one that showed me it was possible. Him and and seeing Byron Katie, like both of them were like, oh, there's something. And then I went around the world finding people who could do this and try to model what they had in common. That's what wow. when, when I, we have the connection course that we do, which is self paced, and that is all about that the learnings from that so Mm. what are the things that these people do that make that it effective Mm. and so for me it's it it's kind of it's it's to teach something it's important not just to know what it is but to actually be able to put it together in a package that can be remembered and utilized Mm. even if it doesn't have all the details and so for me it's it's view is what we call it so it's when you're asking questions the questions need to be vulnerable which means they need to be a little scary to ask. Mm-hmm. They need to be impartial, which means you're not leading the witness. You're not trying to get something. You're not trying to save them. You're not You're you're not managing the experience where most people ask questions as a way to get somebody yeah, that's, somewhere. That's the tricky one. <laughs> yeah, that's the trickiest, yeah. Empathy, meaning that mm-hmm. you need to be with the person, not in the person, but with the person, to feel them, mm-hmm. but not to be in them and then wonder which is curiosity without the without the the desire for an answer mm. and so if you can pay attention to those four things while you're asking questions and the questions automatically are incredibly powerful
1: mm. yeah What what's coming to mind is um I, I think that's something that i've tried to inhabit for this for these podcast conversations and the the more episodes that i do it's it's almost like it's less about the question or or the or the language and it's more about like the fundamental orientation that i or we need to inhabit and embody that allow the right questions to kind of naturally emerge in in some ways and and what, what i love about the view approach is that it's it's less about it's it's a framework but it's not about being formulaic and it's more about the emphasis of like shifting our state and shifting the lens through which we're experiencing and and relating and like trusting in in the emergence yes yeah that's right so we
2: so i always say there's no technique i mean the technique is very simple but there's really no technique you can Mm -hmm. if you're in a vulnerable impartial empathetic and wonder state of wonder Mm -hmm. it doesn't you can say oh man go fuck yourself (laughs) and they can be met with like crazy love right like Uh and 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 i mean i remember case and it was case was one of one of the people that was around us at the time and he was like joe you're a dick i was like what i'm not a dick he's like why are you fighting this just love your dickness like be a dick love this thing (laughs) (laughs) and it was in view and so i like i i couldn't i couldn't really defend myself. There's nothing to defend. So I was like, Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So well, what if I do fully accept that I'm a dick, mm. you know? And then like that freed up so much from me, like to, to undo the shame of like, there is this thing that I'm not allowed to be, that I kind of have a tendency towards blah, blah, mm. blah, blah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, mm. and so it doesn't, it's really the important part is the state of mind. It isn't. Mm. And, and the other way to describe this for what you said is like, It really comes from the orientation. It doesn't come from how good the question is. It's like, if you, if you, you'll notice that if you listen to people differently, they will, you will have completely different conversations Mm. and everybody worries about what they're going to say, but nobody worries about how they're going to listen. Mm. Oh my God, I've got a big meeting. How am I going to listen? Like, no one does that, right? <laughs> Everybody's like, okay, what am I going to say that's going to convince them? Blah, 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 right? Mm, but mm-hmm, but
3: mm-hmm.
2: if you just do a simple experiment for a week of walking around and listening to everybody, let's pick an example, like, they're that they're like the direct mouth of God, and that they're like an absolute prophet, and you listen to everybody like that, like you're hanging on every word, and that you're just there to try to figure out the wisdom of what they're saying, you're going to have a very different week mm. than if you listen to everybody they're idiots and that you're mm. better than them <laughs> right like mm-hmm. those are going to make two different weeks you're going to have two different experiences you're like so but nobody's thinking about that they're just thinking about how they're going to be seen mm. yeah
1: it, it strikes me as um i feel like for me personally the most challenging uh aspect of the view framework would is probably the impartiality. And, and I'm yeah. wondering for people who are thinking, well, like I don't want to completely let go of my perspectives and my, you know, I have these opinions. I can't help that. Um yes. how, how do you think they can inhabit impartiality without almost like sacrificing their own authenticity, maybe it's showing up uh, in, in a certain yeah. way? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Interesting question. So there's so much in that question. Let's first I want to like do a little intellectualization, and then I think it's better to do a, an experiment. So okay. Um but intellectualization is that you said they don't want to get their maybe their personality or maybe like there's a great question of is that yours? Like mm-hmm. really, because mm-hmm. like I can guarantee that you're different, you know, when you're like tired with your wife than you are right now with me, mm-hmm. you know, and you're definitely <laughs> gonna be different if you have kids. And um, <laughs> and if you're being tried, if you're getting off. The boat in Bali, and they're trying to sell you, you know, something that you don't want. You like, mm-hmm. you have a different. So, which which you is you exactly? Is a like a wonderful mm-hmm. question. So, totally. what's the identity that you're actually protecting? So, there's that question, which is what the view framework starts to disintegrate just as much as mm-hmm. meditation does. The view framework, if you're vulnerable with yourself, if you're impartial with yourself, if you have empathy with yourself, if you have wonder with yourself, the mm-hmm. self is seen through Mm. just like as if you unconditionally love yourself yourself is seen through like there's other things besides just the meditation approach and Mm. so that would be one way that i would approach that question but the more important way is that it's just simply not true and so um so right now if you can tell me what's the partiality that's driving your questions like, there's always partiality. This you can't ever mm-hmm. get rid of it completely, right? Mm-hmm. Asymptotic. You, like, you can get closer to no partiality, but you can't ever hit it, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but so, what's the partiality
1: that's driving you today, right now, in this conversation? What comes to mind is that I think I have a partiality or a view that that finding complete impartiality is impossible. <laughs> so that okay. was my that was my kind of like. That was maybe right. the impetus. Behind so drop the cur- that the for a minute, just drop it for a minute and be like, okay. oh, okay, I, I, I'm not
2: going to be partial in proving that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to okay. ask a question that would be the would fly exactly in the face of that partiality. And what would that question be?
1: Hmm. (laughs) my sense is there almost wouldn't be a question but there would just be a trust in the process (laughs) because i would i I would like surrender into 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 not trying to intellectual uh, intellectualize it and almost Ah. um because i think that's what i'm that's what i'm trying to do in the process of this i'm trying to allow my mind to wrap its head around something that maybe can't be fully wrapped
2: Awesome. So two things. First of all, did you lose any of yourself in that process? In a bad way? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> right. So that's what I'd say to the fear. That'd be the answer to that question. But the this but now something that's even more fascinating for me would be okay, so be in that trust, be in that unknown. Mm-hmm. That you can't describe it your don't let your mind wrap around it and just wait for the question to come from there and let's see what question pops out of that don't try to force a question just see what happens
0: Hmm. take by the way take all the time that you need Mm
2: yeah what, what is that that one's good i can see that tell me the, that question the,
1: the question is is what is the space that the questions are arising from and then yeah. the, the, the laughter was like well uh, that's not something that you can answer so you're like <laughs> why ask it <laughs> <laughs> great
2: well that's a great question what is the space that the questions are arising from yeah i, I will answer the question i'll say okay. it's not you. Mm. <laughs> mm. 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 yeah
1: yeah okay i i think um yeah intellectually something's just clicked for me in the sense of um my interpretation of the view approach of, of being a gentle facilitated way to help the mind quieten down and kind of get out of the way slightly to allow what is underneath to Emerge with as little kind of of a um, a little like with as little dilution as possible, and I, and I guess like each of those four categories are diluting the essence of what might want to come through. Does that? I that's a does, great does, way does to desc- land.
2: It, I'd say that's a great way to describe it, and I would also you say that you could describe it as it is the integration of not just the mind but the body and the. Mm emotions. It allows all of it to be a part of the conversation. Mm. So and you could say it beautiful. goes, it dives behind underneath the mind, but you could also say it integrates the mind with the rest of it. Mm. Both are legitimate okay. ways to describe it. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 Okay. So this, this feels like a really beautiful segue into um, another concept that you, you touched on earlier. And this was actually something that um, several of my, my students in nervous system mastery, I um, spoke mm. to as being one of the core takeaways of taking part in in your course, in the, oh, wow. the, the, the oh. connection course. And that's yeah. this concept of emotional fluidity. And oh, yes. it seems to me that we're both, or oh, at least I, my my projection <laughs> is that we're both yeah. exploring this from slightly different perspectives, um, is this question of, of redefining our relationship to emotions. And in mm. the kind of teaching that I've been doing, I like to break up the word emotion into emotion and energy in motion and that generally it's our role it's our role to invite allow express or move the energy in the way that it wants to kind of like you you spoke to earlier in, yeah. in meditation so c- could you perhaps define emotional fluidity as you understand it for listeners and what does it mean for you and, and how how is it different to what you mentioned earlier just like managing or regulating our emotions
2: yeah So when, when I'm working with somebody and they, um, an emotional fluidity gets grokked in a deep way, it's like they, um, something bad happens and they cry. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody pushes a boundary and they get angry. Like the emotions move, they move very quickly. Um, and they move inside of a container of loving acceptance and they don't move at people so it's not fuck you you know like there's no there's no anger at there's no you make me sad or guilt like that's all at people that's all to manipulate Mm -hmm. so it's allowing the emotions to be embraced and move quickly through the Mm -hmm. system their life stops becoming compartmentalized Mm -hmm. um stress starts to decay because so much of stress is unprocessed emotions unprocessed life and so so like all of a sudden like these are ceos they have like their their capacities increased dramatically mm-hmm. because they can just like oh like i'm all in knots brah have whatever emotion they need in there. oh i'm not in knots anymore right mm-hmm. um so that's what i would consider emotional fluidity whereas most people are saying. Um, the idea behind emotions is to manage them, is to not have them, like mm-hmm. to not get angry. Mm-hmm. And I think to some degree, that's true. In the fact that if you're defining anger as the way most people think of anger, which is I'm yelling at somebody, great, like that's a good thing to not do. <laughs> like, but why does that mean you can't be angry and go mm-hmm. be angry? Just don't be angry at the person. So most of the people are managing the emotion, not from others, but from themselves. So they're trying not to be anxious. Like almost everybody, I would say everybody I know who's anxious wants to stop being anxious on some level. So when anxiety arises, they're like, fuck this thing. I got to get rid of this. Right. Which is more anxiety instead of, oh, cool. I'm anxious. Mm right and so Mm -hmm. emotional fluidity is oh cool i'm anxious oh cool i'm sad and there's somebody listening to that this right now going what the fuck (laughs) like what do you mean how how could i be happy that i'm sad how could i be happy that i'm that i'm angry how can i be like um and the and the answer is like there's a there's a number of answers but the answer is, is like our minds tell us if, if if we don't allow ourselves sadness, our minds tell us if we do, it'll be forever. If we don't allow ourselves anger, our minds tell us if we allow it, it's going to destroy everything we love. If we don't allow ourselves fear, our mind tells us that um it will become completely incapable if we allow the fear. Mm-hmm. But if, if you know any, if you've had any experience with any of these things, if you are allow yourself to be sad and not at somebody you're happier at the end of it if you allow yourself anger but not at anybody mm. not in a shame, shame shame building way you get to clarity you care more anger is a deep form of care mm. and and if you allow the fear you become more capable mm. and so so it's like it's it's once you have that physical sensation of it then then you understand, Oh, this is, this is all goodness. Right. Mm. And then something happens where it's all met with like love and acceptance. All the emotional states are met with love and acceptance. And then that clarifies decision-making tremendously. Right. So neurologically speaking, if I reached into your head, I took out your emotional center, your IQ would be the same, but you couldn't make a decision. Um, You couldn't decide what color pen to use that kind of thing. And so clear decision-making doesn't come from logic. and it doesn't come from getting rid of emotions. It comes from being okay and excited to be in whatever emotional state the decision puts you into. Mm -hmm. Most of us are making a decision not to feel like a failure or to feel like a success or not to feel angry or to feel happy.
3: Mm.
2: And sometimes really good decisions will have a temporary experience of feeling bad. Mm. And are you going to make it or not make it is all dependent on your willingness to feel all the emotional states hmm. and by the way the really positive emotional states are usually the hardest for people
3: <laughs> they have to mm. do drug
2: they have to do drugs or they have to like <laughs> augment their oxygen level in their brain they have to do something to feel those like those feelings of, of bliss and yeah. joy and, and rapture um yeah. because those are the scariest and you can just tell it like Go go to a cafe and imagine a cafe, there's somebody crying. They're by the table by themselves and they're crying. How's that gonna make everybody feel? Now they're at the table by themselves and they're angry. How's that gonna make everybody feel? Now they're at their table by themselves and they're scared. How's that gonna make everybody feel? Now they're at a table by themselves and they're laughing hysterically. Mm-hmm. They just think life is just that funny. Mm-hmm. Well, how's that gonna make everybody feel? It's like so clear what emotions are accepted and, and really deep levels of joy are are really scary for people. A lot of pleasure, anxiety out there.
1: Yeah. 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 What, um, yeah. What comes up to me for me with that is, um, yeah, I I actually feel drawn to just share like a little bit of my personal experience with that in, in, in that four and a half. Yeah. Just over four and a half years ago, my, uh, ex fiance at the time had bipolar and she she took her own life and uh, uh, it was the it was the journey into grief that firstly showed me how just emotionally repressed I'd been for my pretty much since I could remember mm-hmm. um, and that uh, on in in going deeply into that kind of wound of grief on the other side of that there was a a joy and sense of connection that unlike anything i'd ever experienced before yeah. and it was and in 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 some ways interestingly since the the rawness of grief has kind of faded away there's been a part of me that's been grasping onto that like sense of deep aliveness that mm. came for almost like grieving the loss of grief <laughs> like trying to yeah. find other other ways into that state of like i just feel the world so deeply yes Um, and and i think what i'm coming to realize um, particularly in my work as leading leading breath work and facilitated breath repatterning is that we are all i am craving this full emotional expression and coming back into into love all of these different like full spectrum of, of human emotions um yeah
3: <laughs> yeah
1: um and and i i'd love to i'd love to help list and, and this is something i'm I'm really kind of drawn to try and share and it, it's on it's now honestly part of the the impetus for this podcast um and mm. the work that i'm doing with nervous system mastery um mm. <clears throat> and the, the, yeah there's there's probably two there's two questions come to mind the first that is was alive in quite a few of the students that just took the, the course that, that i did and that is like is there an appropriate like how 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 does one discern between the appropriate time to to manage your emotions say if you're like if you're in a board meeting and anger is arising Mm. and it's just you know it's not an appropriate environment to let that anger move like it 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 does feel to me like there is a kind of requisite skill set to to learn how to temper and 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 like self-regulate emotions to get us to a baseline and then to move to a a point of kind of re- safety where we feel held where we can then allow whatever the energy is to fully move like how do you think about mm-hmm. that dynamic in in your clients
2: yeah so when you get to a certain level of fluidity anger in a boardroom looks like this it looks like wow this is completely unacceptable
0: that's how it looks
2: mm. um or You know, like, hey, there's drama here right now between you guys, and this isn't helping the company. So, I'm not going to continue in a conversation that's like this. So, we're Mm going to get to a a situation where you guys can actually respect one another. We're not talking about it. I'm not having a conversation about any of this, but whatever the boundary is, it's very, it's a very, that's how it looks when it's when fluidity is there. Mm -hmm. In the journey there, yes, there is some, requirement to not pop off in, in, in bad locations. Though it's yeah. amazing though, if you do, I mean I have I most I think most people have those moments where that's going to happen once or twice. Well most people have those moments happen all the time anyways, right? But mm-hmm. um just not with the emotion that they don't like <laughs> something <they, laughs> with the emotions they're more comfortable with. They do it. Like, so yeah. someone with a more narcissistic thing, you know, might be more comfortable yelling than somebody who had like a super abusive father. And so, you know, yep. that's going to be their thing. But, um, I would say that there are going to be moments where you, in this process where you're not going to be able, you know, if you're learning karate, you're going to fall down, you're going to get hit. Like that's kind of part of the the course. And so, Yes. There's some, there's some ways in which you might have to manage your emotional state for a short period of time in the process of learning emotional fluidity. And hopefully you just do it for the shortest period of time that you can. Okay. I'm mm-hmm. going to manage my experience. And then I get out of the boardroom or I'm going to go take a piss. I'm going to move the emotion and then I'm going to come back in. Yep. Moving emotion takes like minutes, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe 20 or 40 at the beginning and two or three or four or five at the, you know, so yeah. And then they just, then there's so much fluidity that there's no resistance and they just come out differently. That's the thing is like Mm. anger at the beginning sounds like the way I look at this is like, there's a, there's like a tube and let's call that tube anger. And that's like where anger flows through. Mm. And if it's kinked one way, it looks like this. I'm not angry. (laughs) If it's kinked another way, it looks like this. You motherfucker, blah, 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 blah. Uh If it's kinked another way, it looks like, oh, that's a really nice dress. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's very cute <laughs> right so all sorts of mm. ways for that anger to be kinked when the anger is unkinked and that emotional fluidity is fully flowing it looks like this it looks like gandhi it looks like martin luther king it looks like i have a dream it looks like no, no we're not subjects to the british empire anymore i don't know what you're talking about that's not how we're doing it
1: mm. like that's what the anger looks like
2: mm.
1: I, I love that image of the of the tube and it's it's interesting exploring anger has was a big theme for me for a lot of last year and i yeah. explored it through the lens of the of the of the four masculine archetypes the king warrior magician lover and for um, me it was the warrior that really represented kind of the healthy expression of anger and on on there's almost like a triangle in, in the model and on yeah. one side is denial and repression of the unhealthy yeah. expression and on the other it's like the tyrant it's like the you know the warrior who's not connected to his heart but then right. the healthy expression, and this is this was where it really clicked for me, was that my my healthy, clean anger, mm-hmm. when it was connected to to my warrior, it allowed me to set boundaries, and it allowed me to kind of stand up for what I, I cared about. And yes, it it took a while for that to go from like an intellectual idea to something that I actually embodied. But That was something that I just, you know, I wish someone had told me like 15 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) All of it.
2: Could you just download everything I know at 15? Yeah, because I I,
1: I felt (laughs) like I was... I just didn't think I experienced anger for like, you know, 15, 20 years of my life. I was like, no, I'm just yeah. a pretty, pretty chill person. Just pretty calm. Yeah, <laughs> and Every, these... I can't
2: tell you how many people <laughs> it's like, I and mean, if you meet those people, it's like, well, you kind of got a low level depression. That tells me you've got repressed anger. Oh, and you're passive aggressive. That tells me you got repressed anger. Oh, and mm-hmm. you're smoking a lot of pot. That tells me you've got repressed. Anger. Like there's so many things that. Like from my perspective, I'm like, oh, clearly repressed anger. From the perspective of the person, I'm not angry. I've never been angry. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the I really like the model. I don't know the warrior model that you were talking about, the king warrior um, model. But the the Tibetan and also the traditional Chinese medicine, they talk about, you know, like there's the five jewels, the five virtues, the five poisons. And later in the text, they kind of tell you they're the same thing. And mm. so for them, it's like mm. anger, anger is like the emotion is the anger that we like. And but the virtue of anger, which is the same thing as determination and clarity. Mm. And so a lot of people who feel like victim in their life, it's like a repressed anger that's there. And that anger moves, man. And they're not a victim anymore. And they have clarity and determination. Yeah. So that's another. So yeah, so all of these things, it's like there's um there's the virtue of them, which is the way I look at it is just the unclogged tube. Mm. And so the unclogged tube of anger is 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 determination and clarity. And the yeah. unclogged tube of and I and I'll I'll say it like this that the joy is the matriarch of a family of emotions and she won't come into a house where her children aren't welcome. Mm.
1: Yeah. yeah, that that's that's that was a line that another student actually shared as being one of the most impactful ah. parts of of your course and it just yeah that lands so deeply um
2: that's so cool i'm so glad that there are people doing breath work i did breath work for by the way i did breath work for eight years it was like with this woman oh, and uh Okay. Yeah, I, I the kind of the uh, kind of traditional Reikian breath work. Nobody teaches it anymore. I can't find anybody in the world who teaches it anymore, but it was mm-hmm. a traditional stuff where you lay naked mm-hmm. in the position, you do this breath, and she like bruises you by like like going at the muscular holding. It's like this, like super, to de-armor you. Super interesting. Wow. So that's um <laughs> it wasn't about getting high. It was it was not yeah, like yeah, yeah. it was it was it was how do you feel all of it? what was the work? And it, it had its drawbacks, but theres I mean, I'm blessed to have done that for so long.
1: That's really interesting. Cause what was, what was coming up for me while you were talking about anger was, um, in a, in a circle last week. Um, I, I feel like one of the, another one of the gifts of coming into right relations with your anger is there's also like full emotional expression. And there was, um, someone in circle who, had a lot of kind of tension in their throat and a lot of like redness and it was like something wanted to move through and we we brought through a big arm compression and Mm. there's there's almost this like energy of like like pushing away like no like establishing a boundary with a loud sound and then that turned into we kind of gave them a a cushion and you know full like rage came through um yeah it's 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 interesting that um well the the specific type of breath work that we've been practicing here it doesn't really have a have a name but the my teacher ed we're thinking about calling it facilitated breath repatterning and Mm. it differs from a lot of breath work that currently exists around the world in that we're kind of watching watching the different breath patterns um come up and helping people to move to a more vibrant inhale and a more relaxed exhale and so Mm. it's really about coming and, and 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 as a Practitioner, we can kind of see where their breath isn't able to go. We can see the areas of of holding and of tension, and using nerve flossing or kind of very, very gentle, soft movements, we're kind of like inviting the wisdom of the body to come through, which then usually um, proceeds to go into some kind of incomplete reflex or some kind of emotional release. And and it's it's interesting in that um, this is this hasn't been tested, and we're hoping to do research in the coming. coming months but it seems like there are different breath patterns which are connected to different repressed emotions so like in the um in the hips in in the pelvis there is often like where we kind of store the shame and then anger typically like the neck like the 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 belly sometimes the diaphragm is fear um there's like armor around the heart can kind of be like a hunching of the shoulders and it's yes it's so interesting i call it the critical parent hunch yeah The critical parent. <laughs> <laughs> the critical parent. Yeah. Yeah. There's
2: people who've done this work, by the way. There's, um, okay. there was the guy who, you know, there's a the guy who did the micro expressions, you know, his work, um, he mapped yeah. every single expression. There's a, like one twelfth of a second before somebody res- can think about their response. They have the automatic response. It's called, um, micro expressions they're okay. out of people's control. So it's one of the ways that people can read like lies and stuff like that a, a whole uh-huh. bunch of stuff
3: mm-hmm.
2: anyways this guy charted all the expressions that every muscle that could move in the face and every pattern that they had, and then these are the expressions and this is what they mean and mm-hmm. they went around the world to different tribes to agree to get agreement there was almost full agreement on all the facial expressions mm-hmm. surprise and fear were different um mm-hmm. they, they were confused based on whether it was an indigenous tribe or non-indigenous tribe but anyway so his teacher used to be able to look at a picture of indigenous tribes and tell you about their whole society based just on the way that they held their bodies. Mm. And the work that I did, like a large part, like, so when people see me do one-on-one work with people, they're like, well, it's like wizardry, sorcery, like, what? how did you do that? And there's a lot of things to it, but one of the things that people like is that I can just look at the way that somebody holds their face and their body, and I can tell you what emotions that they're holding back. I can tell you mm-hmm. what's not being said. I can tell you a lot about their parenting, the, who the how they were parented or how mm-hmm. they were raised, mm-hmm. because every emotion that you don't feel, you have to hold, and there's a musculature in it, and even like, um, traditional Ayurvedic or traditional Chinese medicine, they'll talk about this line on the forehead being repressed anger. Mm. And it's just like, it's, it's in so many traditions about how the body responds to different emotions. Mm. So it's absolutely true that there's no doubt that different emotions holding would affect the body and therefore the breath Mm. 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 without a doubt. And it's very, and it's very observable when you, when you, when you, do that deep exploration in yourself. You just can't not see it in others. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't even require, it doesn't even require the intellectual understanding. You just see the person and you're like, oh, like you, you know, Mm. you don't have to piece it. Oh, that, that hunch means this. It's just like, you just know it when you've experienced it in yourself.
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I I think the more that I'm stepping into the work of being a breathwork facilitator, the more I'm, I'm like, is that what I'm truly seeing in their breath? Or is it my projection and my story of like, what it is that they've experienced? And I feel like the more that that like library of, um, I I almost think it's almost like an emotional cartography. And I I would imagine that because you've been doing this work for so long, you have this enormous library, this database of postures and expressions that you've seen that your, your intuition maybe is just able to map those onto Kind of of yeah, behavior. there's been pretty, a lot of research visionary. too. There, there's people who have done like even
2: like if emotions were held in a certain way over over your childhood, like longer legs, shorter legs, stouter body types. There's like a lot of there's a lot of people who've done a lot of work in this, and so I've read a lot of that stuff too. I and mean, people like Lowen come to mind, okay. um, who 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 will talk literally about like what does it mean if the legs are shorter than the. Than the mm. torso and a human and what it says about their society and mm. that kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. I mean, none of it's none of it's perfect, but it's definitely there's a lot that's very directionally correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But I do agree. Yeah. Yeah. I do agree that there's a experiential part of it that's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yep. the more you experience it in yourself and others, the more it becomes clear.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um yeah, that felt like a bit of a really, really interesting personal tangent for me. Um, yeah, great. What um, coming back to, I guess, I, I think it'd be helpful for listeners to explore maybe a couple of other emotions which many of us label as as bad or negative. And and one that comes to mind is, um, and maybe this isn't an emotion, but the, the idea of selfishness and I could, could you share your, your like working definition of selfishness? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's,
2: um, a word used to get children to do what their parents want. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. Selfish is always a, the word selfish is always a projection. Mm. they're not doing what i want selfish means they're if you call somebody selfish you're basically saying they're not doing what i want them to
1: do mm. and what do you think is the um like if, if someone is calling themselves selfish is that just the story that they they kind of have running from their parents from yes from before? yeah, guilt the guilt
2: story yeah that's what yeah. it is, is it, okay. so there is don't get wrong here so that somebody can listen to that and they're like well of course they're selfish people um what i would say is i'd say a couple of things so one is a story um that i had a friend and he was a like a heavy catholic and he was in this moment of coming to terms with the fact that he was he was gay and he didn't know he was coming to terms with that but he asked me this question and he said i don't know always when the when the, when I'm supposed to do what's right for me or when I'm supposed to do what's right forever others. And I was like, oh, oh, so your God's a masochist. <laughs> I'm like, your God has set up a world where you have to choose between what's right with you and what's, what's right for us. Like torture.
3: Hmm.
2: Like that's a really evil God you're describing to me as compared to a God who is like the thing that is ultimately the best thing for you is ultimately the best thing for the people around you. Like that seems like a setup of a loving God, and so that's that's another way to view the same thing. Meaning, if if, if something is truly good for you, it's also going to be truly good for other people. Mm. So there is a way that people act for short term interest that is neither good for them or for the people around them. But what I'm not buying into is that the idea that I can do something that's good for me that's
1: actually not good for you.
2: Mm. Mm -hmm. It's either bad for both of us, or it's good for both of us.
1: Yeah. It 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 sounds like if if it's a desire that isn't coming from a place of wounding potentially or a place of usually of of like neediness. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's you know there's probably some example.
2: There's probably some edge case scenarios where it's like there's one walnut left (laughs) and it's like is it going to go for me (laughs) or you um so i you know i I don't want to make it a a forever law but just generally in our society this is how it's used selfishness is a way to control people and Mm -hmm. it's and it takes away people from the from the real question which the real question is what's the thing that's really the best thing for you so it's like we're not even allowed to ask the question because that might be selfish yeah, yeah. but that question is the most important question and what is the what is the like the most what is the best thing for you is a great question to be asking yourself on in every move that you're making mm.
1: Mm. Right. yeah yeah the the so, other um the, the, other the other thing about
2: it the other thing is that people who think they're selfish in that way, they're like, oh my God, I'm selfish or I shouldn't be selfish. They're usually the ones that act in a way that is most like what I've called be emotionally greedy or, or mm. financially greedy. Mm. It's like they're mm. they 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 have guilt around being selfish.
1: Mm. And so that it drives the behavior. Right. That yeah. Right. So on on that theme of guilt or or perhaps shame, um, this is something that was has actually been coming up for me in in recent months and yeah. i'm curious how do you how do you typically work with shame when it arises and and f- f- in my experience it's it's almost like a journey to not feel ashamed of the sensations of shame but uh-huh. um oh interesting <laughs> but that's just what i've been kind of I, working I, with like I, what what's what's your perspective on
2: yeah. So I have a modality that I use called reclamation that like um, dissolves shame. It's one of the things that um some of the courses I, I I do teach. So the but the general principle behind it is that shame is always based on a logical fallacy. And so intellectually you can see through shame pretty easily when when you you kind of see the like. So that's that, and then emotionally, shame I find from so the on an intellectual level, it's like a there's it's pretty easy to see through most shame. It's like most people are ashamed of, if they're ashamed of something that they've done, they wouldn't be ashamed of somebody else who did it totally. Right. Mm-hmm. As an example, just that's one of about 20 different deconstruction exercises you can do around that. Mm-hmm. On an emotional level, shame. Seems to be um, the the. There's two ways to look at. It. One of is the covering up of other emotions, right? So there's one way to look at shame that way. The mm-hmm. other way to look at shame is the kitchen has been broken. So in a social way, say you have a little kid, and the little kid farts in front of his aunties, mm-hmm. and the aunties laugh. No shame. Mm-hmm. The aunties condemn shame. Mm-hmm. Same yep. farting. The only difference is that the social connection has been broken. Right. And so. So the question is, how do you maintain connection when other people are breaking connection off from you? Mm. That's really the deep, the deepest of the the ways of looking at shame. Mm. What's necessary for me to stay in connection? Mm. So anytime you feel shame, the kind of the hack is what's necessary for me to stay in connection. to deepen my connection in this moment so that's so there. there's like those are the two things there's there's the nonsensical nature of shame right because nonsensical that that kid feels shame for farting (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. like it's like that's as human as human is right and so so um and he might feel shame for wanting attention which is also as human as human is like so so there's an intellectual ridiculousness behind shame, but on the on the emotional level, yep. um, it's very much a, a break of it's a repression of a life force because you're breaking connection. Mm-hmm. So you you've mm-hmm. broken connection with yourself, mm-hmm. and in doing so, you've stagnated the rest of the emotional experiences. Mm-hmm. on On a nervous system level, um, shame is a bit of an addiction. There's like a um, there's like a, a creation of safety that happens with shame. And so um, usually people feel a t- tremendous amount of shame. It was used, uh, their parents used that as a way to control them, selfish, for example, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And, so, yep. Yep. and so on a nervous system level, they're safe if they're in shame. That's mm. when the parents didn't attack. Right. Mm. And I used to use this all the time to get out of tickets, by the way. This is my like a bit of an evil thing, <laughs> um, <laughs> evil laugh behind the evil thing. But yeah, like when uh, cops would pull me over for speeding, I had this thing that I'd always do is I would always do this one 2 punch. The first thing I would do is become relatable and I'd be like, yeah, I just had a huge fight with my wife. And then the second thing I would say, and I'm totally responsible and I feel horrible for this and you, I totally deserve the ticket. You should absolutely mm-hmm. give me a ticket. I shouldn't have driven like that. <laughs>
1: and wow. You you are a manipulative dick, Joe Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs> I did, yeah. Like, I think
2: all my, my whole thirties, I got pulled over like 10 times and got one ticket. Um, I don't do that. But, the, but yeah, it was, it was like, absolutely. It works, you know, because people. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who wants to feel empowered over a situation, wants to feel in control feels good if the person across from them is in shame, it like gives them that mm. feeling of control.
1: Mm. So what's, um, I'm actually feeling emotion coming alive right now. Um, what what I think I'm curious about is is in my experience, I think I I got the first bit really clear. Like I was able to like intellectualize why, you know, shame was completely useless and wasn't serving me. But I think there was still that like stuckness and in in the context of, of breath work, kind of in process, it felt like this almost like like swampy feeling in my like in my hips and in my pelvis. And it sounds like from what you've been saying that the the way out, the way to crawl out of the pit of shame, is a to kind of really fully feel that, and b maybe kind of more resourcing from your heart and like bringing back into a sense of connection to allow that shame to dissolve. Is that is that roughly that- what you're I
2: would, I would, I would simplify it a little bit because the the problem with shame is that if you tell yourself that there's a way to get out of it, then eventually you will not do that thing. And then that will be your new source of shame. Mm. So shame's got this like great way of recreating itself. Mm. So you're like, if I just ate less, I wouldn't feel ashamed. And then you stop eating so much for a while and then you eat more, and then you feel ashamed that you ate more. And now you've got another thing you have to do to be good enough.
1: Mm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so it's like yeah yeah well wow.
2: so there's there's like this <laughs> trick in that right so um, <laughs> it, right? so if you if you keep on creating things that you have to be to be good enough you're fucked like that shame is mm. winning winning the game so it's far more just about the simple question of what is it that i need to feel in connection right now mm. Mm. right? So uh, like, let's make it real for a second. Like think of the last time that you felt shame over something that you feel comfortable talking about. What would be an example of it?
1: It's, it's a big one, but I, yeah, I feel, I think I feel comfortable talking about it. Um, it was actually in relation to the the grief piece that I shared. Um, mm. And it was really um, what I'd felt at the time was that Uh, initially there was this part of me that was like, did I, was I the cause or in in some way contributing to the decision that she made? And very shortly afterwards, I kind of rationalized that is not a healthy thing to, to believe, to entertain. And I just kind of pushed it down. And my sense is that what has been emerging in some of these breathwork journeys is that kind of emotion that was living there that now kind of feels safe to, to arise. Um and it's um yeah, it kind of came through in some big movements, some big um, there was kind of some like whales, I guess, that kind of came through in a recent journey. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of sitting with the question of to what degree is it is it complete, to what degree is it still there? Um, and just so basically
2: yeah. allowing the idea that you did cause her suicide or that you were part of causing yeah. her, her suicide. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So here's the question. So if you allow that thought uh, like oh yes I I was part of her suicide. I was mm-hmm. part of contributing to her suicide. Mm-hmm. And you don't move away from it. You just like yep that's true. What do you need to do to be in connection with yourself? There might not be an answer, an intellectual answer. there's an experience
1: that you just had that they can't see. Mm, 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 yeah, right. it's, it's a, the, the, the thought was one of, um, that there was a kind of a greater intelligence at play in what unfolded and that, um, and that there are things that are kind of outside of my control, which, which happen. And yeah, there was, there was also a piece
0: of, I guess, like
1: self-forgiveness and more just like feeling, um, more of an openness in my heart space as well. Like feeling the breath kind of come, come here.
2: Right. So what's interesting is what you're telling me is that the holding back of the not saying, oh, I'm not going to entertain that thought prevented the self-forgiveness and actually allowing that thought and asking yourself what do i have to do to be in connection with this is Mm. allowing the forgiveness yep at the beginning of it Yep, this is so it's going to be different every time for everything the Mm. question though is the same which is what do i need to do to feel in connection with myself Mm. right now or more deeply in connection with myself right now Mm and I, as you were doing it, I saw your body kind of move. And I like, I saw like that there was also physical stuff that occurred and yeah, yeah. as an example. So.
1: Mm, yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. And
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Hard this is questions after that. I, <laughs> <laughs> I apologize no, it's, to the viewers. It's, 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 at, <laughs> it's, it's actually, it's actually great. Cause I think the next thread that I wanted to pick on um, or to pick up was this question that I think is probably very alive for a lot of listeners which is they they might be understanding what we're talking about but I I think a big question is like like okay so what can I do like what techniques approaches can actually help me as someone who isn't experienced with this and feels like I might have anger shame etc kind of stored in my body um how might I begin to move from that subconscious resistance into greater emotional fluidity and eventually the, the joy that you spoke to. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear what, what kind of comes to, what kind so of comes many to ways to do it.
2: <laughs> it's like, how, how do you leave your lover? How do you cry? There's so many uh, ways to like, you know, there's, uh-huh. uh, there's Paul Simon 50 ways to leave you the 50 ways to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're asking that question, it probably means that you're more intellectually focused. So I would say like sign up for a course, you know, connection course or what you do, or that would be like, why not? Experience emotions in groups is easier than experiencing them by yourself often. Like there's a lot of group work that helps in emotional experiencing. Um, so that's a really important thing. Fake it till you make it is a really important thing. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's a great tool if you can't cry just pretend you're crying every day for half an hour see what happens if you can't get angry then just play uh, an actor whose role is you <laughs> like make sure that's super convincing yeah. um but realize that you're an actor it's not actually your anger um so that's another like a cool way to do it um the right kind of breath work that activates emotions instead of like goes for the high is yeah. another another really good way to do it um like i said the connection course is a great way to start experiencing that mm-hmm. there's lots and lots of ways of doing it if you're interested you're the 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 fact is is that your body actually knows it's like it's just like how do you teach someone to walk it's like you don't give them fucking instructions like they just and it's the same thing with this it's like the body knows mm-hmm. what to do mm-hmm. the head just kind of gets in the way of it and if you start trusting your body if you just laid down on the floor and said, I'm going to do whatever the fuck my body wants to do for 20 minutes, eventually your body would find it. Your body would start moving this stuff. That's just how it how it goes. Like the body knows it, it's got an inte- it wants to get back to homeostasis so badly. Yeah. And so bad it, it wants to get homeostasis so badly that it is recreating, recreating bad patterns in your life. The same fucking boyfriend with a different name, the same boss with a different name, the same abandonment with a different circumstance, the same recreating that over and over again so that you might yeah. please to God feel the emotion that you repressed <laughs> feeling when you were 10 years old when you first experienced it. It's trying so hard. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's like you're in a weird way. The question that you're asking is like, how do I drop a hot frying pan? Right. It's like, <laughs> I, don't, I cannot explain that. But (laughs) yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, and it's really, it's really friggin' wild when you first start to, to realize that. Um, And one, I guess, a question that I have around that is to to what degree do you think that um, story in any way is necessary to come to get complete on an experience that might have been kind of traumatic in the past? Or can it just be a case of, allowing that emotion to be fully felt, expressed and any associated reflexes to come through? Or do you think that also needs to be an intellectual integration as well?
2: Depends on the age of the trauma.
1: Okay. Pre-verbal doesn't need any
2: story. Mm-hmm. Post-verbal needs a little bit of story. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, Which is so- why I think that's
2: why there's the question of it in the world is because it's not consistent enough to have a yes or no answer so there's like so different modalities are just working at trauma at different ages
1: right oh interesting yeah yeah interesting um so another um this was a, i think a fourth uh student from the art of accomplishment that was in <laughs> nervous system <and> mastery <laughs> mentioned oh, wow. that um this was um Johem i believe uh, he mentioned that one of the ideas that really resonated with him was that uh, he said you have to allow your heart to break a little to increase to increase your capacity to love um, Right. yeah that's another and yeah. we've spoken about this a little bit but, but why do you why do you think that is and 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 he also shared that it was he believes it's our, our heart's capacity not our intellectual capacity that acts as like the the bottleneck in some ways for what he wants to like create in, in the world yeah so
2: the first what what makes that so is that um so the the quote is if the more you allow your heart to break the more it increases your capacity to love Mm -hmm. it is the allowance like you can't love without a willingness to have your heart break Mm -hmm. like to like it's just that's a ridiculous notion (laughs) Like there is no love without that risk without that vulnerability so um But also what happens, I mean, I have a story about my daughter when she had her first boyfriend and she was breaking up with him and she finished breaking up. She walked to the car. She wasn't old enough to drive. And she sits down and she holds my hand and she's just weeping. She says, "Um, dad, you always told me that heartbreak was good for me, but you never told me to feel so good. It's like there's, you know, she was raised you know, in a different way than most Americans, obviously, but, um, but like without the resistance, heartbreak is actually love. It is, you know, it's, it's, it's a love so big that you can't contain it and your body, your body has to. So, and as we said, like anger is clarity it's like sadness undisturbed is like this, this deep gratitude, love, And so it just, that's, and, but mostly I say that as a pointer to people to embrace the, embrace the heartache, Mm. because that's the reward on the other side is like the more you allow your heart to break, the more you walk around in love with everything. Mm. It's a great, great experience. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you just look at, if you just look at the people who are walking around not in love with everything, like think about the person in your life the most who's like walking around the least in love with everything <laughs> and then you look at their access to sadness and then you look at the person in your life who walks around most in love with everything and look at their access to sadness it's like there's your answer
0: yeah
1: just look at the data
0: yeah
3: yeah
1: yeah well there's a line that um i think it's from martin Pract- martin a or Practyl, and he, he says grief is praise and it's almost like we we praise that which we've we've lost by by loving it um mm. and it's yeah wow i like
0: that griefless praise um
1: hmm. okay so this is um switching gears slightly this is okay. i think more of a uh, like again like a personal curiosity this this has felt more like a coaching call than a, than a podcast <laughs> conversation <laughs> it's great it's i hopefully hopefully <laughs> listeners are getting something as well um but yeah so w- one of the reasons that your your work and your your approach and, and the course and the art the art of accomplishment resonates is that it it seems to be using business or or work as a tool for like surfacing our own shit to some degree and yes yeah. Helping us to kind of move through these spirals of growth as as humans, and yeah, I sometimes wonder the extent to which I get trapped in in like my previous patterns of ego in the work that I'm doing. And there's times when I consider like taking a year off to go and live in a more monastic and like contemplative environment. So I'd be curious to hear what do you think about this, and and maybe could you speak like how have you grown personally? from choosing to work and live in the space that you're in, in in ways that you don't think you could have done from just sitting in that room and kind of contemplating non-duality yeah <laughs> i think of like the Ramana Maharishi story i
2: don't know if you've heard this one but i love this one it's a um <laughs> some guy comes to and says should i go be a monk or should i just do the household or left aisle? like what what should i do and Ramana's like no you shouldn't do the monk thing And he's like, how can you say that? I mean, you're a monk. Like what the hell? You don't know me. You've never met me. Fuck. (laughs) And Uh he goes, well, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. Cause what you should be doing is sitting here asking me the question, which is like the Ramana story. So, Mm -hmm. so to me, the, um, if, if there's a, so on one level, let me answer the question. If you think you have a decision to be made, it means that there's already fear in the system and, and, address the fear don't address the decision Mm, mm. it doesn't matter if that's should i sell my company or should i get a divorce or should i be a monk right that 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 binary thinking is an indicator that there's fear in the system Mm. and when there's not fear in the system you make ten thousand decisions a day you don't even notice it Mm. when there's not fear in the system it's just what's the next most obvious thing oh well yeah Should I be a monk? I don't know. Let's go be silent for 10 days straight. See what that's like. Oh, like, let's see what it's like to be silent every two hours, every day while I operate. Does that work? Is which is better? You just start doing experiments. You start learning. You talk to go talk to some monks, say, well, what is this all about? Do I want to be like that? (laughs) Right. So Mm -hmm. that's what would happen. But if it's like, oh, I have to make a decision. And as soon as that's happened, then there's fear in the system. So go feel the fear, go address the fear. That would be something I would say Mm. the other way I'd answer that question altogether differently would be something to the effect of great. Go be a monk. Great. Don't, (laughs) I don't care. It doesn't matter. (laughs) None of it's like some, it's it's like having somebody ask me, um, should I breathe in or should I breathe out or both please do whatever you need to do. Like I spend five days, a quarter in silence, typically. Um, Mm. I think probably this year I'll spend a month in silence. Nice great. I love it. It's, it's, and, and if I felt like I wanted to go be a monk, it'd be great. I would go do it. Um, and I have friends who are doing it and, and, um, but for me, I, I, I have seven years looking at a tree was really important. And for me, you know, being out in the world, building a business and coaching executives and, and and putting this work out in the world is really important. And will it be important tomorrow? I have no idea.
3: Mm.
2: Don't really, don't really care. Like, am I doing it to change the world? And that would be hubris. <laughs> no, I'm 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 doing it because I want to build a Lego castle. Yeah, mm, <laughs> I mean, like I'm yeah. just like
1: a little kid, like a a beautiful look, sandcastle. Yeah.
2: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, sandcastle. Exactly. Yeah. And will I be like the five-year-old who just Shivas it? You know, just good chance who knows yeah just the joy of it yeah so i I i'd say what brings what brings the idea of enjoyment Mm -hmm. is a great question Mm -hmm. whatever you do if you become a monk enjoy it and if you go into the world and you decide to build something enjoy it that's Mm -hmm. the more
1: important piece than what you do is 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 enjoying what you do yeah yeah, that is that is a much more a much more beautiful orientation. And I think the question for me comes from, like you said, the part of my mind which wants to believe that I'm like making the most growth possible. <laughs> it's like that part uh, of me that wants to get further down the further to down the path, end. path. To what end? Completely. What's right? At, what's, at, what's at the end of the path? <laughs> we're, we're... So, in inevitable death and the the dissolution of the of the sandcastle. Um yeah, But before and, and that,
2: I, I mean, like, like, I, I mean, this really, like, hmm. it's not a question. It's not a rhetorical question. It's like, what's the, what's the thing that you hope to achieve by getting down the path? Like, is it bliss? Is it joy? Like, what's the, I, what's the outcome that's wanted, even if it's not intellectually wanted?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. I think the fear for me was, was um, in particularly in the last few months of, of running a course really intensely, I found that I was losing myself more and I was like forgetting what I already knew because of the, the intensity that, that arose. Uh-huh. And there's almost been this desire to swing back into the opposite direction to kind of find my center again and uh-huh. like remember that which had been lost somewhat in the, in the intensity of, of kind of diving headfirst into all of this work. Um, Okay. So So the
2: desire is connection with yourself.
1: Yeah. It's desire to feel that which I've felt deeply many times, but I feel like I'm less in that alignment currently. I think there's a a great saying. uh, I can't remember who said it,
2: but it's something to the effect of um, allow yourself to be annihilated because it's only the part of yourself that can't be annihilated that's real.
3: Mm.
2: Like Mm -hmm. there's there's a part of me wanting to immediately respond to what you said as um to say uh like any part of yourself that you lost you never had <laughs> like like um it, and and there's truth to that don't get me wrong and but there's also truth to the idea of like the breath that when a kid learns to walk they walk and then well, they cruise. They crawl. They cruise. Then they have a couple steps, and they cruise, and they crawl, and then they crawl, and they cruise, and they have a couple steps. Like that's how we learn. We we learn through pendulation. We learn from losing ourselves and from not losing. That's how we integrate.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And and for some people, you can see that in that pendulation is oh my god where would it go oh my god there it is what I hope it doesn't go anywhere oh my god where would it go oh my god and the other can be like oh look at me I'm learning to walk. This is part of the process. Mm. And mm. so the loss of self is is it should to me is as meaningful and as has every right to be celebrated as the finding of self, because there that's how learning happens. Mm. That is how the integration occurs. You can't you can't learn without it. Mm. And so why are we rejecting how the learning process? Mm. <laughs> yeah, um, so you got nah. that one
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this that feels like a nice a nice time to transition <laughs> into. Um, there's a few like rapid fire questions that I wanted to kind of close with, and I'm, I'm okay. also a bit conscious of being respectful of, of your time as well. Um, so okay. yeah, yeah. Let's let's dive in. Um, five five rapid fire questions. The first one is: Why are personal development frameworks traps potentially?
3: Mm.
2: If you're replacing a uh, truth with another truth, then you're just changing the where the walls of the prison are. Mm. Mm. That, they, that it, The freedom is in seeing the truth in everything and the lack of truth in everything. Mm. It's actually so frameworks. Every, the other way to say this is that every epiphany is a rut waiting to happen. So uh, we have the epiphany, it becomes our rut. And so frameworks are to be seen through. There's the same indication when people say, when you meet Buddha in the road, kill him more, the last part of the journey is to give up the truth of the text. It's like there's... Right, right. To see truth as as isolating some part of reality is not... (laughs) Every model has its flaw. That's another way to say it.
1: Mm. Beautiful. Um, And this is maybe, we've maybe covered this, but it's, what do you think is the most common pitfall for a a type A high achiever going into this work?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Never had that question before. That's fantastic. Um,
0: Mm. Finding surrender too late. Mm. Mm. How might you define healthy ambition? Oh.
2: All ambition is healthy until you think it's going to make you happy. <laughs> 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 i'm trying this. to be concise this, this is, is great fun. these are
1: coins, <laughs> just like spewing out I wish I, had, I wish I had more all right last last two um, in moments when you forget who you are how do you remember it, it, I ask the question again in the moments that you forget who you are how do you remember
2: In the moment that you, for, that you realize you've forgotten who you are, you've already found yourself again. Hmm. In the moment before that, you have no chance. So the question is, is mm-hmm. not relevant. Hmm. <laughs> 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 yeah, interesting. I've lost myself means that you found yourself because you can't recognize that unless you have found yourself. Yeah. Before that moment, you yeah. haven't, you don't know where you are, so you can't have a hope of finding yourself. Yeah. It's surrender. It's grace. Mm. But what I, I think just on a whole different note, gratitude for finding your gratitude for the kind of when you say, oh, I've lost myself to have gratitude is the most effective response I know. mm. mm. So you're meditating, for instance, and yeah, you're meditating and you're like, oh my God, I I lost focus to have gratitude for that recognition is the most effective Mm.
1: response to the noticing of that. You've lost yourself. Got it. it. And then finally, what warning might you give to someone listening who might be considering the, the connection course or the art of accomplishment? (laughs)
2: That's a great one. Um, uh, uh, It's going to be something to the effect of, like, if you're not willing to make the investment not in the money, like the money investment will be wasted. If you're not willing to make the real investment and coming to the course and the real investment is the embracing of the intensity. Mm. If you're, if you have an appetite and a desire to embrace intensity, that doesn't mean create intensity. It means to embrace all of life. If you don't have, if you're not willing to make that commitment, don't waste your time. Don't, don't do it. Wait, wait till you have that commitment then come and do it
1: beautiful beautiful well this has been an absolute honestly an absolute pleasure um uh, yeah Me too. where is the best place for listeners to to find out more about the course and and the podcast and any upcoming cohorts that you're offering and and, and maybe also briefly like what would they what could they expect to get out of participating well?
2: oh thanks um artofaccomplishment.com is is the thing um there's a master course which is the eight week thing. And then there's the connection course, which is you do it with a partner and, uh, you do it self-paced. So it's kind of a cohort of two and, um, what's, what to expect. Um, what I would say to expect is, uh, life to be shifted changes as your students, like clearly have told you. Um, but mostly I would say it's, um, it's, there's not a lot of talking it's not going to be like this there's going to be a lot of of experiments so people are go, it's like here's an experiment do this see what you learn here's an experiment do this see what you learn awesome. it's why we do it in partners so that people can experiment and do the experiments with each other and so it's a lot of lab it's not a lot of lecture um and and the other thing is that i'd say is just recently i had somebody come to me and they were like i i talked to like 10 of the people you work with and I ask them, "Has your life changed?" And they're like, "Yes." And and then I'm like, "Tell me specifically how your life has changed." And they're like, "That's hard." And <laughs> and so so I would say what's happening there is that when your relationship with yourself changes, when your relationship with life changes, then everything else has to change. Like as you learn connection with yourself, as you learn connection with others, everything else around you changes. But it's hard to describe because it's like the water around you has changed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so the thing I would say for people is like, when you're coming, it's like, come with, come with, um, don't come with an expectation. Don't come with a, um, like come with an intention, but don't come with an expectation and then come with skepticism, but have the skepticism at the right moment. So, don't come with skepticism before you do the experiment, come with the skepticism after you do the experiment. Mm -hmm. So just like any kind of experimental methodology, keep an open mind until the experiment is over and then make your determination. And so I would say come with that. And if you, and, and you get to learn what you want to learn and and grow how you want to grow because the experiments are wide and and amazing. So Mm -hmm. yeah, enjoy that. I'm trying to think, I, I know this isn't like a, a profound pitch for courses or anything like that, um, but it, it feels like there's one other thing that I want to say about it, which is um,
0: um,
2: if you're looking to improve yourself, this is my courses are not the place for you. If you're looking to discover yourself. I would also say, if you believe improving yourself is going to get you what you want, my courses aren't the place for you. If you can conceive of the idea that finding out who you actually are is what's going to lead you to happiness, then the courses are there for you, and it's and they're super practical as well. It's like this is everything I do is really grounded in in like how do I write an email, how do I do business, because it's in those places where our spirituality hits the you know, the rubber hits the road. It's in those places where we get to really, it can, we can really test it. It's hard to test it on a mat, Mm. but it's easy to test it if your business gets swonky.
1: Yep. 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 (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yeah. And those, those both actually feel like beautiful recommendations for, almost anything, right? <laughs> I think yeah, I, I think particularly like experimenting without grasping onto an outcome that we're hoping for. I think that's that's just very, very sure. powerful advice. Um and yeah, also just for listeners, I want to emphasize that a number of students in Nervous System Mastery talked about how impactful um taking your course was for them. And it really helped them with some of the, the things I was sharing as well. So um yeah. I really wanna kind of make my re- recommendation as well. Yeah. And, and Thanks. also, I, I think I want to kind of say thank you as well for taking the approach of making the podcast public, because I think there's mm. so much essential information that you're making freely available for people who might not have the financial resources oh. to you know, work with an experienced coach like yourself. And I think there's so much, there's just so much value in here. Thank you. Yeah. It's really important to us to, um,
2: you know, have a lot of free information out there and then have really low price stuff like the connection course. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's really important that everybody has access to it in some way, in a way that's financially sustainable for us. And, Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, is, I can say this, that, um, the art of accomplishment, it's something like we have a 98% completion rate. And when we asked everybody on a one to 10, would you recommend it to your friends? The average response was like 978 something like that. So mm. everything was 10 nines. I think there's one eight in there or something, almost all tens, one, nine, like one or two nines, one or two eights. Mm. So yeah, people, people dig it. It does work, which is cool. And, but like I said, don't come unless you're, you know, like don't work, don't, don't spend the money unless you want to work it. Cause it's gonna It's going it's, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna it's, You're, you're going to be asked. You're going to be asked to really to,
1: to, to really dig in. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Cool. Well, I'd love to close with this, this Rilke line. Um, he, he said, try to love the questions themselves and live them now. Perhaps you will then gradually without noticing it, live your way into the answer. And with mm-hmm. that in mind, what yeah. do you think is the question that that, that we as humans in the Western world are asking and trying to live our way into the answers to. Or, or perhaps which question should we be asking that we're currently not? Um,
0: what am I defending? Hmm.
2: Hmm. Maybe you can really find the thing that you're defending. We all are defending ourselves, but we can't really point to the thing that needs defense. Hmm.
1: So really find out what you're defending. Beautiful. Well, Joe Hudson, co Cohen, expert. Extraordinaire. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A new skill I found today. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, This has been total pleasure. Yeah, a true joy. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah.
2: As for me to enjoy bali and yeah i hope
1: if i'm ever there i'll come and look you up i hope you enjoyed this conversation it would mean a lot to me if you could take a few seconds to open up your podcast app and give curious humans a shiny five-star rating this not only helps more people to find it but it will help me to get more awesome guests in the future And if you're not already subscribed, then the Curious Humans newsletter is where I share monthly morsels of interestingness and podcast updates. You can sign up for that at johnny.life. That's J-O-N-N-Y dot life.